two, three, break. Down the middle of the field, it is caught. Loose football. Who's got it? Down at the one-yard line. How about that? That is the ultimate kibosh. (laughs) (laughs) And we are underway. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Action Network NFL Podcast. It is the Divisional Round Friday show. I am Matthew Friedman, the Editor-in-Chief of Fantasy Labs. And joining me to break down this weekend's action is Chris Raybon, a Senior Editor and Analyst at the Action Network and a co-host of All Take That Bet on ESPN+. You can follow him in the Action Network app at Chris Raybon. Chris, uh, you will be happy to learn that last week for all of my uh, against the spread picks, I went 4-0. But on my picks for the show, I went 1-3. and So what, what a life I lead. You went 2-2. Two and two. Any takeaways for you from wildcard weekend? I think that, you know, we, you know, it's kind of, it seems like a cliche almost, but we saw these young quarterbacks in their first playoff starts struggle and just kind of look almost like, I mean, Deshaun Watson, he was just missing throws that you don't usually see him miss. Then you saw Lamar Jackson take essentially three and a half quarters to get warmed up. You know, Trubisky, I mean, he had a pretty solid game, but I mean, the Bears only ended up scoring 16 points and it seemed like at times Matt Nagy didn't want to, you know, allow Trubisky to kind of put the hammer down be as aggressive as maybe they could have been. So, um, you know, it, it is kind of one of those things where we hear about it and it seems more like a cliche, but the numbers do back it up since 2002. First time starters in the playoffs have gone not only 13 and 30 straight up, but also 11 and 31 against the spread. And that's according to Bet Labs. And I actually wasn't aware of that, you know, that number coming into last week, which I probably would have gone a little easier on, on Watson. But, you know, that, that was my main takeaway. Yeah, well, scarily enough, that number is applicable to uh, Patrick Mahomes, so something we might talk about a little bit in our upcoming segment. On the Wednesday show with Peter Jennings, Sean Corner, and Ian Harditz, we looked at the four-game slate through a DFS perspective. For this episode, we're going to break down each game this weekend, and we will also look at the primetime showdown slates for Saturday and Sunday. As you are listening to the show, please rate and review the Action Network NFL podcast on iTunes. Subscribe, unsubscribe, and resubscribe. And for all of our written content, go to the Action Network and Fantasy Labs. You can get our weekly fantasy rankings at actionnetwork.com slash fantasy. All right, Chris, let's talk about the first game of the divisional round. And this is going to be, I think, an exciting, an exciting game. We have the Colts at the Chiefs. The Chiefs favored by five and a half, a 57-point over-under. The spread is up from five. The total is up from 56. After losing five of their first six games, the Colts have won 10 of their last 11, including last week's 21-7 road victory over the Texans. The Chiefs have historically struggled in the playoffs, but they are at home. Andy Reid is coming off of a bye. Now they have what they didn't have before, Patrick Mahomes. Chris, what is your take on this game? Oh, man. I mean, I already see us going back and forth on this one because looking at this outline here, it doesn't look like you think it might be as much of an exciting game as most because you're going to to take the under in this game, which I get it from the standpoint of we have this trend, you know, arrowhead unders in the Andy Reid era have been very profitable, uh, 32, 17, and one, I believe it is. That's a 65% cover rate toward the under, according to Bet Labs. But, you know, just looking at that, I don't know how applicable it is because number one, you have Kansas City's defense, pretty much the worst it's ever been in the Bob Sutton, Andy Reid era. They're 24th in points allowed this season. They were top 15 in the previous five. We also have, you know, Kansas City obviously being the highest scoring team 
they've been in this Reed Sutton era, you know, number one in points scored this year, over 35 a game with Mahomes. And of course, they have Mahomes as opposed to Alex Smith. So you have a whole different type of aggression level in this matchup than you've had in really any of those previous you know games where that that trend has been amassed uh you also I mean even this year I know it, it was still profitable but Kansas City faced Oakland they beat them 35-3 they faced Cincinnati they beat them 45-10 Arizona 26-14 Jacksonville 30-14 then they faced Denver who put up 23 you know 30-23 that's fair Baltimore another pretty defensive team ended up 27-24 so against two defensive teams they still it still cleared 50 um, and then it did hit uh, at least 57 against San Francisco when they won 38-27 and the Chargers when they lost 29-28 to so I still like the over in this one, and that's because Mahomes, the key to really stopping him or, or limiting him is pressure. And I think Matt Eberflus, coach defensive coordinator last week, really deserves a ton of credit for his defensive game plan against Deshaun Watson, especially once he realized that DeAndre Hopkins wasn't at full strength. I think they just came out with a ton of cover two looks, realizing that with Hopkins not at full strength and you have Vincent Smith doesn't really get targeted much, especially after he he screwed up that first deep ball of the game. They just let Kute beat them underneath. And, um, you know, Watson didn't really do anything of note against that, that cover too. But Patrick Mahomes, I think Evan Silva tweeted it out, has destroyed zone coverage this year, 14-0 touchdown interception ratio. So I don't think it's going to be that simple to just game plan against him. And the Colts are 29th in adjusted sack rate. So just not likely to get a lot of pressure on Mahomes and really get him off of his game. And on the other side of the ball, I think, I know the Colts scored only 21 points last week, none in the second half, but I think a lot of that was also somewhat, at least somewhat due to game planning because, uh, you know, the Texans do have a top three run defense and Marlon Mack was able to run all over them. Shouts to Sean Corner who had, you know, Mack as the top value for the most yardage prop. Um, last week, which ended up hitting at like nine to one, I believe. But I think that was, you know, once they saw Wat- uh, Watson wasn't really doing much against that defense, they decided to just run the ball a little more than they usually would. I don't, I think they'll be a lot more aggressive in Arrowhead knowing that they're going to need to probably score five times and at probably four touchdowns to at least to, to knock off these chiefs. And so I, I just have a lot of respect for both of these quarterbacks on both of these passing games. I don't think the Chiefs are really well-equipped to stop the Colts in any particular way. I mean, Chiefs are not a good team at defending the run. So, you know, Marlon Mack's emergence has really come at the right time for them. You know, they even with Eric Berry back, they haven't really been great against tight ends. So Ebron's still going to be an issue. The back end isn't great either. You have to worry about T.Y. Hilton, Dontrell Inman starting to to, to be reliable, if not, you know, not explosive, but he's still a reliable guy in there. So, I mean, I just like both of these offenses in this game. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little worried about taking uh, the Colts as the dog here because the spread is at five, five and a half. And I think that's uh, deliberate because I'm not sure that this game is going to be a game where many field goals are kicked. And so, you know, if the Colts end up losing the game, I think it, there is a good likelihood that, you know, even though, you know, maybe there is value, you know, just if you kind of looked at the numbers, on the Colts or whatever not, I think there's a good chance that if they lose, it's by six or more. And so I'm just going to go with this over 57. I think that it's, it's, it's highly unlikely to me that either of these teams doesn't score four touchdowns in my eyes. Hmm. I, I think it is likely that one of these teams will not score four touchdowns. I see. Yeah. I mean, I understand what you're saying, but I feel like the strength of this Andy Reid era under it's not unquestioned into the 2018 season, but it still persists. And you, you definitely highlighted uh, some good points that 
they've played some pretty unsavory teams at Arrowhead. And that could account for uh, the fact that opponents haven't done well there. But teams against the Chiefs, when the Chiefs are on the road, those teams have scored 34.6 points per game against them. In Arrowhead, they have scored 18 points per game. Now, granted, that is like a huge discrepancy. But it is true that like within the Andy Reid era, they have held opponents to more than six points fewer scored at Arrowhead relative to playing at home against the Chiefs. So I think there is still something to this Arrowhead under. And, and also, the, I think the bigger part of this is that you have within this season, for whatever reason it is, the Chiefs scoring 38.25 points on the road and 32.38 points at Arrowhead. And you can look at it on a per drive basis, 3.25 points per drive on the road, 3.11 points per drive at home. They're just, they haven't exhibited the, I wouldn't even say the ability to score points at home because they're still scoring a lot of points at home, but they haven't maybe needed to score as many points at home. On a per drive basis, they just haven't been as efficient. Mahomes hasn't been throwing as many yards, as many touchdowns at home. They just haven't been quite as good at Arrowhead. And then the fact that you have this this postseason trend, and granted, it's like relatively small sample, but like outdoor games in the postseason are like 29 and 10 to the under. Like that's a pretty strong trend. And then I think when you add on top of that, this Arrowhead under trend and Mahomes playing in his first postseason game. So maybe he struggles a little bit. Maybe he's just not quite as smooth. I don't know. If I had to pick a side, I would go Kansas City. And, and I, did, I did bet Kansas City. I think they ultimately will win. They have a very good, on defense, they have a very good pass rush. One of the best pass rushes in the league. And I know that the Colts are good at preventing pressure. They're good at getting the ball out of Andrew Luck's hand very quickly. So that pass rush doesn't matter quite as much. But I think it will still matter in this game. So I, I think you add all of those things together. For me, that points to the under. I mean, it wouldn't be surprising if both of these teams put up like 35 points. That wouldn't be surprising. But um, I, I don't know. 57 is a really high number for the postseason, for an outdoor game, for a quarterback playing in his first game. Yeah, I'm going to take the under. I mean, I hear you, but I think, you know, like you say, like for whatever reason, the Chiefs haven't scored as much at home. But I think that still goes back to the, the opponents they faced. I mean, you don't have to score a lot of points when you're facing the Raiders putting up three and the Jaguars putting up 14 and the Cardinals putting up 14 and the, the Bengals putting up 10 or, I mean, even though they did score a lot in that game. But, I mean, on top of that, you know, some of the better, you know, they did play some, some solid defenses in some of the other games they played at home where there was more points, like the Ravens and the Chargers and the Broncos. Those are three of the better defenses in the league. So I, I, I just think, like, in a playoff game, of this magnitude, I think both teams will come out being aggressive. I, as far as sides, I mean, this is a little more evenly matched than we probably think. I'd, I'd still lean to the Colts. I mean, if you look back since 2003, underdogs in the postseason haven't been terribly profitable. But the one exception has been the divisional round. Divisional round underdogs since 03 are 23 and seven against the spread. So I don't mind taking the Colts in this spot. But again, my one worry here is that whoever wins the game probably wins it by by a touchdown mm-hmm. um, just because I think that's how it's going to go but yeah I, I, I feel good about the over I mean I, 
it's kind of like the, the Alabama Clemson thing where it seemed like, I mean, in, well, depending on where you got the over under in like, it was a good bet, but in theory, it seems like this game could go under, but I mean, I could see this game being like 21, 14. Yeah. I mean, well, I, I bet the over on that game. I just think there's a pretty significant <laughs> difference. And by the way, where'd you get the over? What, what line did you get it? Uh, I, no, I got the under. I, I was a square. Oh, I you, oh, you, you were. <laughs> I, I got it at 51, not like lower, like at 50 something. Yeah, I got it by the skin of my teeth. I had 59, and I think it hit 60. So I felt very good about that one. I, uh, I will say I did I did make up for it because I saw, like, this is like my first real, like, live betting experience. I'm not really like a big live better, um, maybe like a second half line here and there, but like for some, I was just like, I don't, I was just like, I don't think Alabama has it today. And I just kept like betting on Clemson live line, and it ended up working out. So I like re- cooped my losses but um yeah it was it was a square play by me nice I had some Clemson futures not for like any significant amount of money but I was I was very excited by the way that turned out except the the Hunter Renfro uh, prop that was (laughs) really embarrassing that that didn't work out not even close not even close all right let's go to these uh the next game here the Cowboys at the Rams Rams favored by seven a 49.5 over under the spread is down from seven and a half the total is up from 49 since acquiring Amari Cooper in Week 8, the Cowboys are 8-2, and two, including their two-point win last week against the Seahawks. But over that time, they have a point differential of literally zero. The Rams, meanwhile, open the season 11-1, and one, but they close the season on a 2-2 two and two run, and they have seemed to miss wide receiver Cooper Cup down the stretch. Chris, what are you doing with this game? What I'm doing is I'm going to switch it up and let's kick it to you first because I want to hear the Cowboys fan untainted thoughts like before I get in your head or anything else. Just I just want to hear your unfiltered thoughts on this game and then I'll tell you mine. I, I can't. I, I mean, I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you, I, 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 like, I don't want to admit that I've jinxed the Cowboys, but I, I bet them on the spread this week. I bet them at seven and a half. Okay. But, you know, I think if I had seen seven, I still probably would have bet seven. And I can't really even explain why, you know, it was in the aftermath of their, you know, quote unquote, glorious win over the Seahawks. But, you know, the defense, the defense is good. I don't know. I just, I kind of have this feeling of like seven is a lot. The Cowboys play close games. They have this eight and two record, which I think is totally unrepresentative of who they are. But the zero point differential kind of indicates they are a team that plays close games. And I'm fine with betting a team at seven and a half that has shown a knack all season to stick in close games. Uh, I'm fine with taking the seven and a half. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I'm, I'm actually on board with you. I, I like the Cowboys in this spot. That's, that's going to be my pick. Um, seven, seven and a half doesn't really matter to me. Again, I think that um, these, li- I mean, these games are, especially in the division round, I think these lines get a little bit inflated, even though the underdogs did well last week. I think, you know, it's kind of like, oh, these teams had buys. These are the real deal. And and these lines are kind of large where I think these games are still relative toss-ups for the most part. I mean, the Cowboys, you can point to a lot of different reasons why they match up decently with the Rams. I mean, first of all, being the Cowboys, we know they're built around Zeke and that running game who, by the way, you know, by all accounts is probably a bit healthier at this point than, 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 than Todd Gurley. So, um, you know, that's an advantage for the Cowboys, but the Rams rank 28th in run defense DVOA. You know, I don't think they'll play quite to that bad of a level because part of that is kind of tactical, you know, conceding the run in order yeah. to slow down the pass. Wade Phillips does an excellent job of that. So I'm, I'm sure he'll devote more attention to the run game being that it's the Cowboys. But at the same time, you have, uh, like, if you look at, you kind of alluded to it earlier, but 
Jared Goff struggling a bit without Cooper Cup in, in eight games without Cup down to 7.3 yards per pass attempt. And if you look at Dak Prescott in his 10 games with Amari Cooper, Dak is up at 7.6. So um, now you're looking at a situation yeah. where we, we might not have what, you know, we always kind of, it's kind of easy to say, oh, you know, the Rams have the advantage at quarterback here, but, you know, it's not necessarily the case, or at least, that, you know, by the numbers, it hasn't been the case with the kind of changes that have occurred. And then you go and look at like, Dak, this is his third postseason start now. This is only Goff's second. Goff didn't play well at all in his first postseason start against a shaky Falcons defense at home, averaged only 5.8 yards per attempt in that start. Uh, you know, Dak's postseason passer ratings, 94.1. Goff is in the high 70s. So, you know, it's not just a gimme for the Rams at, at, in the passing game either, even though, you know, they, they should on, they should have the advantage, or at least you, you think they would. Um, you know, the Cowboys' corners. Awuja is playing well, too. It's not even just Byron Jones anymore. So and without Cup now you have to use Woods more in the slot, which you can do and it, it'll be successful, but it's not the same as having uh, you know that previous alignment. And then on the other side you have the Cowboys; they're the number five defense in DVOA against the run. So yeah. uh, you know that's big too as well. That's why I, I do see why you might end up going with the the under for this game, even though it has been bet up. And yeah, I think it's going to be a bottom line, like you said, it's going to be a competitive game. And I think the fact that it potentially could be a little lower scoring than we're used to for a normal Rams game benefits the Cowboys because lower scoring games tend to more often than not benefit the the underdog because the superior team doesn't get as much of a chance to essentially show that superiority um, if you're limiting possessions and drives in a particular ball game so um, you know it doesn't doesn't make me feel great you know the Cowboys you know on the road against the Rams you know we saw it the first two times Dak played where in the postseason, we're at home. Close win, close loss against Green Bay back in 2016. But I think that they have a real a real good shot at keeping this game close, if not winning outright. It's just, is Aaron Donald going to wreck something for the Rams? Is is Jason Garrett or his staff going to make a mistake against Sean McVay's staff that's going to, like, tilt the game? I think those are questions that we can't answer. And, you know, that we know that something like that is going to play out every, you know, every week. We just don't know where it's going to be. But, um, you know, on, on paper, at least, I think the Cowboys have a great shot. And that's, that's my bets, whether it be seven or seven and a half. Oh, man. So I have some thoughts. So my pick for this is under 49 and a half. It stems from a few things, but I think the Cowboys defense matches up fairly well against the Rams. And I think the Rams defense also actually kind of matches up pretty well against the Cowboys. So that's kind of like for this game specifically. And then just like the macro picture of like Dak, like the under is good for him. Mm -hmm. The under outside of division is good for him. The under on the road is good for him. So like Dak unders outside of division on the road, that's a 12 and three record to the under. And I think like you can look at some of the things like thinking about why that would make sense. And it, it does make sense. I know it's a sample of only 15 games, but like I feel comfortable with the logic of kind of why it is that those games would play out the way that they do. The thing that scares me about the Cowboys specifically is Aaron Donald. And you mentioned like, is he going to wreck something? I don't think it's a question of if I think it's just a question <laughs> of like, what exactly is the yes. impact of that? Is it that he creates two fumbles you know, is it that he gets five sacks? Like exactly what is it? Because I feel pretty confident that he can easily win the matchup going against the center and the guard. Like the Cowboys, in theory, they should have all pro center Travis Frederick. Instead, they have backup Joe Looney, right? They should have, and it's not as if he's even all that good, but 
Xavier Suafilo. They should have him at left guard, but because they decided to play him in a meaningless Week 17 game, they're putting out their rookie Connor Williams, who they benched because he wasn't good, right? So you have a situation of Donald going against the two weakest guys on that offensive line. And the Cowboys are so predicated on the play of their offensive line, where if, if like there is any weakness along it and it is really exploited by the defense, that is significant to everything that they want to do. So like that is the one thing that really makes me nervous about wanting to back the Cowboys. But, you know, I'm a Cowboys hater and truther at the same time. So, I, you know, I personally backed them. But the, the under, I do feel not super confident about. But, I like, of all the picks, of all the plays related to the Cowboys, that's the one I like the best. To, to play devil's advocate, I mean, you know, this is going to be interesting because the one thing about – going back to the quarterbacks is that, okay, yeah, we know Donald's going to get in that backfield. You know, it's kind of a foregone conclusion. Dak Prescott this season – under pressure, 87.1 passer rating, 92 touchdown to interception ratio. That passer rating is third best in the NFL under pressure. Uh, and then if you look on the other side of the ball, though, like okay, Jared- sorry, if I if I could just interrupt there, he also is second in the league in sacks. So whenever right. he manages to get the throw off, right, it's good. But he's getting sacked at like a really high rate. Sorry, go ahead. Absolutely, and I think, but you know, sometimes you know you're gonna have to take. Like the, the problems quarterbacks usually have under pressure is that they make throws that are inaccurate because it's just difficult to make accurate throws under pressure. So, I mean, like in this type of game with the Cowboys having a better defense than, than you know, we've remembered them having pretty much any, at any other point, like you could afford to take sacks if it's not going to necessarily, like if it's not going to turn the ball over and give the Rams easy points. But I think the, the Dallas's defense does match up fairly well. But my thing is that, if this does come down to these quarterbacks like making throws under pressure, you know, Goff is no short thing either. I mean, he's he he has a a 42.3% completion rate under pressure this year, 5-5 touchdown to interception ratio and and his 59.8 passer rating ranks 29th in the league. So, like if the Cowboys you know, like they probably want Dak to take sacks under pressure because I think they feel like you know, if they can, if they can just play solid defense against golf, I mean, I, I don't think it's a gimme, and that's why I kind of like this. The Cowboys plus seven, plus seven and a half, because I think this game, even though you don't think of the Rams as one of those teams that is going to get into these, uh, you know, closer, lower, score, lower scoring games, I think as opposed to like the the Colts Chiefs, like this is a game where Sean McVay might say, hey, we, we got to settle for a field goal here. Like we might not go for it on like a fourth and one or fourth and two, even um, though you know that's usually what you'd expect him to do. So. You know, I think it's no short thing. I think it's a toss-up, honestly. I think the Cowboys have a great chance in this game. One more thought. You mentioned, and this goes to your point about Dallas, and you mentioned this earlier too, uh, about Colts versus the, the Chiefs. In the divisional round, underdogs have been profitable, and I think that makes sense. Whereas it, it wouldn't make as much sense in the wild card round or even the, uh, the next round. Yeah. I think people overvalue home field advantage, but they really overvalue the buy because it's not a true buy. It's a week of rest with a normal week of game plan preparation. Because like in a normal buy during the regular season, you know who you are playing in two weeks. Here, like the other team doesn't really have the opportunity to game plan that entire time. They can work on what they want to do, but they don't really have the like they don't have the knowledge of knowing for sure who they're going to be playing in two weeks. You know what I mean? So Absolutely. I think people sort of like think of it, oh, they have the buy. And it's like, well, they do, but it's not the normal buy. Like you shouldn't count it the way that you would count a normal buy during the regular season. 
And you know, you're spot on because I actually did uh, research this in Bet Labs uh, earlier in the week. And I found out that this would actually go right into your point because postseason underdogs in the divisional round against the number two seed cover 56% of the time, which, you know, pretty good. But against the number one seed, those underdogs cover 69% of the time since 2003. So it's like people are overvaluing, you know, the number one seed plus to buy even more yeah. than, you know, it's like, you know, that, that's how it goes. And I think it's, it, there's always going to be this kind of public perception at play. And that's, that's kind of a big thing I've learned here, you know, in my first year at Action Network is that I think most of us, you know, the background I was from, you know, understood how to handicap games for the most part, but finding out that, you know, a lot of the value, a lot of betting value does come from, you know, simply market perception. And, 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 and when you find, and you look at some of these trends, they end up hitting and being a lot more predictive at times than, than just, you know, the simple handicapping of the game and, and trying to predict the score or whatever not. So I'm definitely with you there. All right. So right after this, we're going to talk about the Saturday primetime slate for DFS. But first, we're going to hear from Josh Applebaum, talk about the game that the wise guys are betting this week. Money talks and action Applebaum is all ears. This is the Sharp Report. NFL Divisional Round Playoffs. We are traveling to Arrowhead Stadium for a showdown between the Indianapolis Colts and the Kansas City Chiefs. This game opened at Kansas City as a six-point home favorite. A slight majority of bettors are on Indianapolis Colts grabbing the points to the tune of 57% of spread bets. However, the Colts are also getting a massive majority of dollars, currently 70% of spread dollars. This low bets, higher dollars discrepancy is a sign that the bigger, sharper wagers are grabbing the points here with the Colts. This line opened at six and it's fallen all the way down to five or five and a half across the market. Typically, 57% of bets might move the juice a little bit, but a full uh, half point or full point line move uh, is indication of bigger money behind that bet moving that line. The Colts are also in a very profitable historical spot. So far, since 2003, Underdogs in the divisional round playoffs are 37 and 21 against the spread, 64%. This is the best time to bet on underdogs. Also, you have a great trend on fading teams that are coming off a bye. During the regular season, teams off a bye do very well historically. You have more time to prepare. You have more time to game plan. You have more time to rest and rehab injuries. However, the conventional wisdom would think that it would roll over to the playoffs, but actually it does not. Since 2003, teams that are coming off a bye have not performed well against the spread. In the divisional round, these teams, if you had faded them, would have been 56.2%. So basically, teams in the situation of Kansas City coming off a bye have only gone 39-50 and 50 against the spread, 43.8%, losing over 13 units. So while the public is somewhat undecided, leaning slightly to the Colts, the wise guys are betting on Captain Andrew Luck to bring them to Green Dot City Saturday afternoon. All right, that was Josh. Be sure to check out his article, The Sharp Report, on the Action Network. All right, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about this Saturday night primetime slate. I mean, I think the way to start is probably looking at running backs here. The two running backs in this game, or the two primary running backs in the game, Todd Gurley, Ezekiel Elliott, these are the, the guys who are at the top of our rankings at actionnetwork.com slash fantasy. What are you doing with this slate, and, and where are you starting? I think, you know, you start out with – Let's see. You have Zeke and you have Gurley, and I, I still go Zeke over Gurley. I would try to because you want Goff and you want Prescott in there as well, and so I think you you do end up kind of choosing between one of those running backs. I like Zeke as my captain. I think he's like the the easiest, um, the most sure bet on the slate. I think he's 
the most likely player to to give you what you need out of that slot. So that's how I kind of start my lineups. Definitely want uh, Goff in there, even even though he's been struggling lately without Cup. But you actually can get Zeke, Goff, Gurley, Dak into your DK showdown lineup. It's just that you're only going to have 3,900 salary dollars remaining, which makes it kind of tough. But I think, in, especially if you're playing like a cash game, I think you just kind of bite the bullet there because those four players and, and having like a Zeke in the captain spot, mm-hmm. I think is so crucial that, um, you know, this has kind of been what I've been doing all year in, in cash games and showdown is just, you know, jamming in the top the quarterbacks and the top two running backs, if possible, especially when they're like featured backs and just punt in the last two. And I think you can do that because you have Gerald Everett and then you essentially just have to punt the last spot. And you can, you go with like Tyler Higby uh, who hasn't been um, running as many routes because now you, but, but he might run a little more now that um, with Gurley back because it's just it changes how they, you're going to use Everett as well. And then you have Noah Brown, who's been surprisingly, at least for me, getting a few more targets than I think we, we thought he would get. Um, and now you have Alan Hearns out. So, I mean, he got four targets against the Seahawks, only caught one for six yards. So, I mean, maybe maybe they scale him back. But as a punt, I think you're fine with, with Brown in that last spot because he could catch a touchdown for all we know. So I think you just kind of do it that way. That's the way I would attack it anyways. That's how I'm going about cash game. Okay. So uh, we just talked about the DFS slate for the primetime game on Saturday. Next, we're going to hit the Sunday games right after we check in with John Ewing for some trend-based sports betting insights. Good data is always in fashion. Here's John Ewing with Trend of the Week. Tom Brady is a five-time Super Bowl champ and future Hall of Famer. But like all quarterbacks, TB12 struggles when pressured. This season, Brady had a quarterback rating of 105.3 when he didn't get hit, and 71.2 when he was under duress. The key to covering against the Patriots is pressuring Brady. In games that Brady has been sacked one or fewer times, New England has gone 96-46-2. That's a 68% win rate against the spread. But in games that Brady gets sacked three or more times, the Pats' ATS record drops to 39-43-4 against the spread. The Chargers sacked Lamar Jackson seven times last week. Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram are two of the best pass rushers in the league. And LA's defense ranks in the top 10 in rushing and passing DVOA. On Sunday, the Chargers are going to hit Brady and cover. So take the four points with LA and go right to the ticket window. All right, that was John. Be sure to check out his sports betting articles each week at the Action Network. Chris, let's talk about these games on Sunday. The first one, Chargers at Patriots. The Patriots favored by four, a 45.5 over under. The spread is down from four and a half. The total is down from 47 with reports that there could be three to five inches of snow at game time. Obviously, the weather is in flux. People need to be sure to check that out as game time approaches. Last week, the Chargers avenged their week 16 loss by beating the Ravens of Baltimore. After starting one and two, the Chargers have gone on a 12 and two run. They actually have a better record than the Patriots who really at no point this year have looked like one of the best teams in the league, but they have Brady, they have Belichick. They maybe have a healthy enough Gronk and Edelman. They are at home. They're coming off of the bye and they are just two games away from the Super Bowl. Like we've been here before. What are you doing with this game? I mean, man, like the Patriots, not only are they two games away from the Super Bowl, but they have advanced to the past the divisional round to the conference championship each of the last seven seasons. So if they were to drop this game, this would be kind of new territory for them that we haven't seen in quite some time. I think the Chargers are in good position here, though, because number one, the Patriots' weakness this season has been run defense. They're 14th to get in pass DVOA on defense, 19th 
against the run, but that doesn't even really tell the whole story because, you know, you know, a lot of, there's always this kind of conversation about, oh, you know, running is kind of a, a corollary of, of winning and being up late in games. And that's certainly true. And you, but when you look at their, the Patriots and their five losses, they gave up 152 yards per game on the ground. You think, okay, well, maybe that's just kind of a game script thing. But even if you look at just the first half of those games, like you could see that New England's run defense has really gotten it in trouble. So in, in their loss to the Jaguars, they gave up nine, nine carries for 64 yards in the first half, 7.1 per carry. Then in, in, in the next loss to Detroit in week three, 81 rushing yards in the first half on 15 carries, that's 5.4 a carry. Next time they lost was in week 10 to Tennessee. They gave up 69 yards on 19 carries in the first half. Then in week 14, that game they ended up losing to Miami on the last second, the uh, Kenyon Drake miracle. Uh, 142 yards on 12 carries in the first half alone in their final loss of the season to Pittsburgh they gave up 84 rushing yards on 10 carries in the first half so this is and the Chargers are a team that they ranked uh, number two on offense in passing DVOA but also number six in rushing Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler both averaged over five yards per carry during the regular season so this Chargers team is well equipped to attack this Patriots defense. And I think the snow probably actually would help the Pats a little because maybe they wouldn't be quite as worried about the pass game, but you still do have to be worried about the Chargers pass game because they're good. Uh, they're really good against the pass. They've been playing some, some strong defenses lately, which has kind of muted that to some degree. But the bottom line is this is a, a top offense, whether you're running or passing. And I think it's going to be a tough game for, for the Patriots. I mean, on the other side, you have you know, Ryan Collinsworth did an article about how the key to stopping Tom Brady is getting pressure on him. You know, last season, he ranked number one in the league in passer rating under pressure this season down to 21st. And with Bosa back, and it's helped Ingram out as well, because over these last uh, four games, nine quarterback hits combined for Bosa and Ingram uh, and six combined sacks. And Ingram really kind of didn't start the year quite as well. And I think that a lot of that was to do with the fact that Bosa wasn't on the other side. So you have Trent Brown at left tackle for the Pats and, and Marcus Cannon at right tackle. Both of those guys were outside the top 25 in uh, pass blocking efficiency, pro football focuses metrics. So I think on both sides of the ball, there's reasons to be concerned. If you're the Pats and I just – I mean, it's really Belichick is, is, is what's given them their, their advantage at this point because I don't really see a lot of straight-up matchup advantage. I mean, you have Edelman going against Desmond King. He gives up catches here and there, but really he's one of the top corners, slot corners especially, in the league. You have you know Gronk. He would, go, he would end up facing against this Charger defense that ranked best in the league in DVOA against tight ends. You yeah, have, Der- Derwin James yeah, especially yeah, Derwin is very James, strong right. in shutting down. Yeah, right. Yeah. So you, and then you have on the outside, I mean, without, now that you don't have Josh Gordon, that changes everything on the outside as well, because, you know, now you have Hogan and whether it's Patterson or Dorsett or whatever, not you know, now one of those guys is going to get taken out of the game by hate. I mean, we already see a Hogan essentially run, like spend every snap on the field and barely be targeted. And if, if Casey Hayward's on him, I don't think that's going to change. So just a lot of things, they really might need some type of like trick play Edelman pass or something like that. Cordell Patterson probably will be involved. maybe something on special teams, but barring that, I don't really see a huge advantage for new England outside of that intangible factor that is Belichick and his ability to just cook up whatever he needs to in, in these playoff games. But given that the spread is still, you know, more than a field goal. I like the Chargers than anything more than a field goal here. Yeah. 
Oh, so I'm taking the Chargers in this spot. I, I think they have a. If this is this is this, this is the chance. This is their chance. Like they, right. this is their chance to win this game. Rivers has been the better quarterback than Brady this year by almost every metric. This is this is the Chargers' chance. Yeah, Rivers Rivers is the better quarterback. I think not even just sort of like this season, but probably at like this point in their careers. You know, like moving forward, I think he's probably better than Tom Brady at this point. And this is like his chance, not even just to win this game, but like the Super Bowl solidifies his legacy you know what i mean yeah like he's like he's the guy in that class that hasn't won a super bowl yet ben roethlisberger has to eli manning has to philip rivers has nothing right except like he played on a torn acl in in a playoff game which is like really manly but he didn't <laughs> win the game you know so so anyway like okay this i mean pick- we know philip rivers is really manly because how many kids yeah, does he yes. have how, like, how many? Like, <laughs> I think I think eight and a half at this point. Um, this like picking the Patriots. This is a heart pick and not a head pick because I know I'm on the wrong side of this. Like I think the the big difference between the teams is at the coaching level, and then also I think playing on the road tends to be undervalued. Sorry, playing at home like that home field advantage probably tends to be overvalued. But like with weather, I think it actually does matter. So you have this Southern California team playing in potentially snow. And even if there's no snow, definitely cold weather. Like, I think that is worth more than like a point. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's worth something. And then you have Belichick. And I think for all of the the shortcomings that the Patriots passing game has this season and then matched up against the Chargers in particular, and, and you pointed them out. I think those won't matter this much because I think it's going to be a really run-heavy game. I think that is how the Patriots will beat the Chargers. The Chargers are not as good against the run this year as they maybe like previously have been, and then they're also significantly injured. Like They're missing linebackers. They're missing their nose tackle. Last we saw them, they were playing – like they figured out their best configuration on defense was literally playing seven defensive backs – like the Patriots are just going to line up and run against them. And I think all of the advantages that the Chargers have will be diminished because of that. And so like, if I'm thinking this is a close game, but you have Belichick, you have still Brady potentially making clutch throws, you know, I don't know. Like he's, I I mean, I still think he's good enough to make key throws when they need him to, especially on designed plays where they're, they're giving him an open guy. I think they can win by four. You know, I, I think they can do that at home, playing in the cold. I don't see the Chargers having the offense that they normally have in the cold weather. I, I mean, you could argue, though, that, that the weather, like, it almost helps the Chargers a bit because they're the better. Like, the Patriots are, like, all right, for all, like, yes, the Chargers are missing linebackers. But that that seven defensive back look or whatever it was, like, that was a highly successful look for them last week like they shut down the Ravens run defense um run offense excuse me for for most of that game uh and it was really Lamar Jackson just making ridiculous plays uh off uh, schedule in the past game that even got the Ravens close the Chargers are still uh they were better than in the against the run than, than the Patriots they were 10th in DVOA the Pats were 19th and then the Chargers are better in run offense than the Patriots as well you know so I mean it, in that kind of game you know, especially because the Chargers, you know, they play a lot of zone, but they could match up man to man if they need to against the Pats. And if it's if they want to put an extra defender in the box or something like that, because they don't the pass is not as much of a threat because of the weather. I mean, 
it's like, yeah, it's going to come down. Are they, are they soft and are they just going to play poorly because of the bad weather? I don't think the, the matchup itself necessarily, just because it's going to be a run heavier game favors the Patriots. I just think, yeah, I mean, the Chargers could just come out flat because they're on the road and it's cold. And that's certainly possible. But, man, I, it's – I don't know. I, I mean, I'm, I know I'm being the square on this. Like, I, I know it, but like part and going along with this. So like for all the mystique that Belichick has and the fact that the Patriots have been like the team you clearly want to back in the regular season, uh, both on like their win totals and just against the spread every week in the postseason, the Belichick Patriots have not been nearly as good against the spread. And I think, you know, you can you can make some sense out of that. They're playing harder opponents in general. And there might be more betters, you know, like the books can probably shade the lines a little bit because they will have more recreational betters who are just kind of focused on, oh, it's a playoff game. I'll bet this. So I, I know I'm on the square side of this, but I just, I don't know. I, I can't, I can't not back the Patriots here. That's just kind of like the way my head feels. I mean, my heart feels about this. My head knows I'm, I'm on the wrong side. It's such a weird thing, too, because I feel like for the first time, this is another weird thing about the Chargers. Like, they actually have decent special teams. I think, you know, like Desmond King has given yeah. them a, a big lift in a return game, and uh, their kicker Badgley has been a lot better than pretty much any other kicker. I mean, I, I get it. I, I get it. You know, the Patriots, they, they, they're at home. They should they should take care of business. But, again, I just like the Chargers anything more than a field goal. If it's a field goal, then I think then I don't really want any part of either side. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about this last game here. And, and this is the game. This is the one I'm, I'm really excited about, probably irrationally excited about it. We have the Eagles at the Saints. The Saints favored by eight, a 50.5 over under. The spread is down from 10. The total is down from 51 and a half. Oh boy. We have the Super Bowl champions, always the underdogs on the road against the number one seed. Carson Wentz is still out for the Eagles with a back injury. So Super Bowl MVP, Nick Foles will once again fill in, not counting the meaningless Week 17 game last year. The Eagles are 10-1 and in Foles' starts. They've won six of their last seven games, including four straight must-win games. The Saints, after losing in Week 1, lost only one other time all year in a game that actually mattered, and now they are at home coming off of the bye. What are you doing with this game? I, I mean, this kind of sets up the same as it did last week. You got... You got the Eagles as the biggest underdog on the board yeah. uh, going into a game that apparently no one thinks they can win. I think they have a pretty good shot at winning this game. I don't think the Saints they're, go- they're going to win this game. They're going to win this game. <laughs> Nick Foles, how, that, that would put him, uh, what, two games away from being Ben Franklin? If they win this yeah, game. exactly. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they, they will have, they will have a <laughs> Nick Foles statue right next to the Rocky oh. statue if he wins the second Super Bowl. Oh, man. Hundred dollar bill is not safe, huh? Um, <laughs> nah, but no, I, I, I'm with you. I think uh, I, I think the Eagles have a good shot at winning this game. I don't think the Saints match up particularly well against the Eagles because the Saints, what do they want to do? They want to run the football. That's what they've been doing at, a, at the highest rate outside of the Seahawks in the league this season. And even though Nick Foles has, you know, obviously given them a, a lift over these last four games, I think it's gone under talked about how much this this run defense for the Eagles has stiffened because they're allowing 57.5 rushing yards per game over that four-game span that Foles has uh, been their starter. The run is not that important compared to the pass, but I think it does take on more importance against a team like the Saints who want to run because for as much flack as that Eagles secondary catches, and and it should, you know, the Saints have one one guy, really, that's going to exploit that, and and that's Michael Thomas. And the Eagles are dead last. They finished the regular season dead last 
in schedule adjusted receiving yards allowed to number one wide receivers at 90.9 per football outsiders. And then we saw Allen Robinson put up his highest yardage total since December of 2016 against them last week in the wild card round. So I think Michael Thomas gets his love, his yardage prop this week and all that. But I think Ted Ginn is going to be really important here because you're going to need more than just that. Like we saw the bear, we saw for all of what Allen Robinson did. I think the reason the bears only ended up putting up 15 points was because they didn't really have that, that Jordan Howard aspect that they, that they've been having over these past like six to eight games. And, and that really kind of slowed them down, even though Trubisky put up numbers, Robinson put up numbers. And then the saints are kind of, you know, if Ingram and Kamara aren't being explosive, if they're just getting that three, four yards per rush or whatever, not, I mean, the Saints team is not necessarily a team that's going to run away from you. And, you know, the Eagles, in addition to being uh, very good against the run, they are the number one defense in the league in terms of red zone conversion rate. And they are the number six defense in terms of third down rate. So if you could stop the run and get the Saints to beat you in situational football, the Eagles are still one of the better defenses in situational football in the league. So I don't think this is a game where, uh, you know, the Saints necessarily run away. I think the key is going to be that they have to start aggressive and not kind of get caught up in trying to run the ball early because the Eagles have been the worst team in the league, tied for league low 2.6 points per game in the first quarter. Um, they've started very slow. Um, that hasn't gotten that much better under Foles. Three, t- three first quarters, they scored only a field goal, um, and in the fourth, they got a touchdown. So still uh, only sitting there around four points a game uh, in the first quarter with Foles over these last four weeks, and uh, that was still ranked in the bottom eight in the league. So the Eagles probably won't start fast. The Saints have to kind of jump on them early. Um, they have to take their shots downfield to tag in. I think Sean Payton will probably realize that and, and do that. So I'm not too worried. The Saints were number four in the league in first quarter points at home at 7.1. That's really, to me, the key for the Saints. But I don't really see a reason why the Eagles can't keep this within uh, one possession. I mean, uh, I think it's going to be a whole, totally different kind of uh, meeting than we saw the first time. And if you look back, because I know a lot of people are going to make a lot of the, you know, the 48 to seven beatdown that the Saints laid on the, the Eagles in the, in the first meeting. But uh, in a divisional round, if you look at teams that lost the previous meeting uh, in a divisional round and their underdogs are uh, 28 and 15 against the spread when they play in the divisional round. And uh, that would suggest that, you know, this game is going to be a lot tighter than we expect. If that's the case, I think, like, I think you're going to see a whole different type of football game. So I like the Eagles to keep within one possession for this one. So I'm taking Eagles plus, uh, plus eight. Okay. Yeah. I don't think I really even need to add anything to, to what you said. I'm taking the over, you know, it's the, the course field of fantasy football. I think lots of points are going to be scored. I think it's going to be a very exciting game. Wait, wait, wait real quick though. On the, so my concern with the over in this game is like, if the Saints aren't as effective running the football as they normally were like, you don't think that this game could kind of take a similar tone to like that Dallas Saints game or that Bears Eagles game from last week where you kind of see the teams putting up decent passing numbers, but it's just not necessarily translating in the score. Well, in the Dallas Saints game, I mean, no one really did anything, but um, yeah, like, you know, like does the Saints potentially not being as successful with their running game as they would most weeks concern you at all with the, with the total at 50 plus because I mean again this is a Saints defense that's better than it was in previous years this is an Eagles defense that's improving you know so I mean I I don't think it's quite the same as like the previous years when the Saints have just had god-awful defenses yeah so I think that the Eagles offense is good enough to be able to counteract 
what the Saints defense is going to do. The, the Saints have a very good defensive line, but I don't think that matters so much with the Eagles. With Foles, they get the ball out very quickly. He takes almost no sacks. It's pretty incredible. So I think like they will still be able to uh, score points against the defense. And then when the Saints have the ball, I could see them abandoning the run pretty quickly. Like I know that like they want to be a team that runs the ball. And like when they have Ingram and Kamara, like that is kind of what they have been. But I think like at their core, they are still a team that throws the ball. And I think when the run isn't there, they will very quickly pivot to Breeze throwing the ball. And I think, as you mentioned, that will result in good things for Michael Thomas. But I don't know if they have the like enough guys to be able to do what they need to do through the passing game to put up the points to win the game. You know what I mean? So you, so the Eagles are the Saints. The Saints. You're thinking the no, Saints. Eagles. The Saints. So, but wouldn't that suggest like wouldn't you bet the under then? If you if you think no they, no, no. I mean I think they will I think they will be able to score enough points to hit the over, but I don't know if they will be able to score enough points to outdo what I'm thinking the Eagles are going to do. So you're taking Eagles money line in your personal. Like, yeah, I mean I think the Eagles are going to win. I mean I'm I'm probably wrong, but I think the Eagles have a good chance of winning. Postseason underdog money lines. Since 2003. Don't even tell me this. I know I'm going to be. Ooh, I mean, 12.9% ROI, even though they've gone 62-106 straight up, that's only a 37% you know, win rate. That ROI, if you had just bet every single postseason underdog since 2003, you would be up 12.9%. That's an A-minus rated uh, trend in Bet Lab. So, and I'm sure it, it improves in the... Uh, in the divisional round, I don't have like I can let me actually I can get it up real quick. In the div- yeah, it's if you had bet every single postseason underdog on the money line in the divisional round, you'd have a thirty two point four percent ROI. <laughs> okay, but so, yeah, I think, uh, so maybe I'm not a total idiot, but yeah, <laughs> I think Philly. I think I don't know. I mean, I I mean I wouldn't say oh yeah fifty fifty odds, but like I I think they have a real chance to win this game. I think that caters to the over for me. Okay. We're going to get to the the primetime slate and talk some DFS right after we hear from Ian Harditz, who runs through the key divisional round coverage situations. The press, the jam, and the five-yard bump. Ian Harditz brings you Dance of the Divas. First up is Colts versus Chiefs. T.Y. Hilton has not been practicing all week, but that's been a new norm for him recently. Not too concerned about his matchups on the outside with Orlando Skandrick or Steven Nelson, but Hilton and Andrew Luck have pretty bad outdoor splits during their career, and Kansas City has been awesome at Arrowhead. For the Chiefs, Tyreek Hill could see some shadow coverage from Pierre Desir, but the Chiefs do such a good job moving him around the formation, and he's so fast it shouldn't really be an issue. The potential return of Sammy Watkins could lead to more slot time for Chris Conley, and Sammy Watkins has had a positive effect on Patrick Mahomes' career yards per attempt rate. The Cowboys versus the Rams will feature Amari Cooper versus old AFC West friends Aqib Tlaib and Marcus Peters. They match up pretty well physically with Cooper, but the Cowboys number one receiver could see enhanced target share if Cole Beasley and tight end Blake Jarman are ultimately unable to suit up. Uh, the Rams are set up pretty well with Robert Woods and Brandon Cooks, as well as Josh Reynolds against the Cowboys' pass funnel defense. Byron Jones is a stud, but the Cowboys do not move their cornerbacks, so we can expect Robert Woods and Josh Reynolds to spend most of their days across from Anthony Brown and Chidobe Awuzie. 
The Chargers and Patriots will feature awesome cornerbacks on both sides of the ball, expecting Jason McCourty to slide down to the slot to spend most of his snaps against Keenan Allen. Stephon Gilmore should be traveling with Mike Williams on the outside. As for the Patriots, Julian Edelman will have to deal with Desmond King, who is PFS number two overall cornerback, while Chris Hogan will see plenty of Casey Hayward. The Eagles were expecting to see Marshawn Lattimore again shadow Alshon Jeffrey, as he did during their first matchup, which means Nelson Aguilar will have to face off against Eli Apple, Golden Tate's best position in the slot versus consistent liability P.J. Williams. Finally, Michael Thomas leaves the Saints receivers against the Eagles secondary that isn't bad. They've gotten better, but, I mean, come on, guys. Avante Maddox, fourth-round rookie. We saw him get burned double moves all the time last week versus Allen Robinson. Rasul Douglas gave up a touchdown over 100 yards receiving in these teams' last matchups, and Crivon LeBlanc wasn't even on the Eagles until Week 10. All right, that was Ian. Be sure to check out his wide receiver cornerback matchup column each week at the Action Network. Chris, let's talk about this this game uh, and the DFS players in particular Eagles at Saints the primetime slate for Sunday night how are you starting your roster build for this well this one is actually it's a little you know tougher than usual because you know the Eagles have been playing that run defense and it's like it's almost like even though I try to always go into cash games with like the quarterbacks and the running backs the Eagles, I mean, you, at this point, it's like they have three – well, they really have two running backs because Josh Adams played one snap last week. They ran three – like, first of all, what the hell was going on with – Yeah. Can we talk about this real quick? Like, what was Doug Peterson doing when they have first and goal from what well, I guess it was the two or the three or whatever, and they run two plays, like two essentially dive plays with Darren Sproles instead of Adams – uh, who has 35 pounds on Sproles. Then they, they, they blow the timeout, get the, convert the fourth down. Then it's time for the two-point conversion. And they come back with another dive play to, to Smallwood, who's, who, yeah. who Adams also has like another 17 pounds. Like I get that he fumbled in a key spot, but if you're going to run those plays and they already didn't work twice with a smaller, like a, a small guy, like why, 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 why come yeah. back? So bringing it to this slate, yeah, there's a question of what do you do with the Eagles' backfield? <laughs> Do you put Sproles out there and just kind of hope? Do you go with Smallwood thinking that he's maybe the, the guy who's the most well-rounded of the group who might get the most? You know, it's just like it's hard to know what to do on that side of the ball. And then with Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram, I think it's also kind of hard to know what to do uh, because Kamara, like he just hasn't been the player that he was, you know, from an efficiency standpoint last year. Uh, or from a, a volume standpoint in the first month of the season when Ingram wasn't there. He's just not getting as many touches. So it's, I think, a real question of, like, is he worth the salary? And then, like, do you feel comfortable with Ingram? Like, not really. So, what, like, what do you do here? Oh, you got, I think you got to fade Ingram. Because, yeah. like, like, if, like he's, he's, just, he's just not cheap enough for what you're re- like what you're trying to accomplish when you're if you're like anyway so it's like like first of all there's a chance that like and we kind of saw this a little bit in last year's playoffs like when when the going when, when pedal to the metal Peyton's gonna go with Kamara over Ingram like like when when the going gets rough Kamara is going to be the guy in the game and that's why especially when the passing game kicks in right right because you know Kamara I believe he was inactive in week 17 correct yeah. um uh, Mark Ingram touched the ball seven times. Now, granted, so did Michael Thomas. Mean, Michael Thomas got some targets too, but like Michael Thomas, I believe, was chasing some type of milestone or something. So, um, you know, I, I think that, and this is just a poor matchup for Ingram because he's the, the runner. Like he's the more, the guy that you think of when you think of like, okay, he's not going to catch as many passes. He's going to be the runner. 
And this Eagles defense has been lights out against the run, you know, with, with that with that front floor and Fletcher Cox and all those guys. And so I, I just don't think this is a great matchup for him. Like, I'd almost just rather – I think I'd abandon my usual strategy of going, you know, quarterback, quarterback, running back, running back. And I th- – because you can fit Thomas, Kamara, Foles, and Breeze in your lineup. And I think you just do that because I think, you know, Thomas – if there's anyone that's going to have a monster game, that's not a quarterback or a running back. And Thomas just like, he's probably the most likely guy to have a monster right. game yeah. in this spot. And I think, yes, you want to have breeze in there because that secondary is poor, but I, I think you really, this is one of those situations where I could really see it hurting you fading Michael Thomas. So I think you just kind of, you take your chances with, with a core of that four, and then you make it work around them with guys like Watson, Goddard, Josh Hill, if you have to. If you're going to go with the Eagles back, I, mean, I don't think you could fit it with that construction, but I would do Sproles because the Saints yes. are also a top defense against the, the run as well. And so I don't think that Smallwood will be quite as valuable in this spot. Uh, and they obviously just trust Sproles because, remember, Corey Clement was like their third back last year, and they used him quite a bit. Yeah. And Adams is a rookie, and they, he fumbled, and they haven't really used him much since and, and Sproles is the guy getting those goal line carries so, I mean I think Sproles is your guy if you're looking for an Eagles back but yeah I think I'd probably just try to get Michael Thomas in there with uh, Kamara Foles and uh, Andrew Brees yeah I think for me especially because I'm I'm thinking the over and I'm thinking that happens because it's a a passing game I think you just you go with the passing attack so that um, that leads you to Kamara as someone who can contribute uh, as a receiver and Sproles and then, yeah, like Thomas is someone who is really intriguing. Uh, I should give a plug to the Action Network article that Sean Corner has. This week he has highlighted Michael Thomas as a, a value play. Plus 800, you can find him on some sports books, which uh, those odds are far too, far too low. Plus 800 to finish the week as the leading receiver. Something to, to think about. But, yeah, so I think it's a question of how you – exactly how you configure your lineup, who you're putting in the captain spot – which running backs you might be using, but yeah, uh, definitely interesting stuff there. Breeze costs more than Thomas, who costs more than Kamara. So, I mean, like, it's not like you could still put Kamara in the captain's. Like, I, I don't think mm-hmm. Kamara will struggle for, for like numbers in this game. Like, I think yeah. he'll get his usage and his numbers. It just, you know, it's not like a smash spot, but I mean, if it's coming down to salary, I think you definitely have to consider it just because, um, you know, you, want, you really do want to get Thomas in there as well. Yeah, and as uh, as Chris mentioned, he will be looking at the prop. I'm imagining the over. Yeah, you mentioned oh, the over yeah. for uh, for Michael Thomas. Definitely something I will also be looking at. I will be obviously consulting the props tool, which has a hit rate of 64% this year on the props that have a bet quality of 10. And obviously you can access the tool at Fantasy Labs. We have a five-day trial for just $15.95. Chris, any closing thoughts here? Let's get this money. All right, that is going to do it for the Friday episode of the Action Network NFL podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for all of our upcoming episodes. For Chris Raybon, I'm Matthew Freeman, Matt of the Oracle. See you again next episode. 